0: Hello everyone, welcome to Ubi Estimia. My name is Brandon Weatherby. This episode is with former Chicagoan, current Brooklynite, or whatever you call someone that lives in Brooklyn, Elliot Einhorn. The reason why we're talking to Elliot is because he is the frontman of the Scotland Yard Gospel Choir in indie rock, a chamber pop, whatever you want to call them. There's a lot of them and they make good music, band out of Chicago. They recently released their first song in five years and it's called Clark and Belmont. Sort of a farewell ditty, dirge you might say, to uh, the former Dunkin' Donuts and Alley and all those stores that over over in Lakeview that kind of colored the neighborhoods. This episode, we talk about his exodus from Chicago to Brooklyn and his time there. We also talk about the the podcast that he helps produce called The Talk House, which is a very great series of interviews of musician on musician and filmmaker on filmmaker. So if you're so inclined uh, into that world, you'll enjoy this. So without further ado, here's Elia Einhorn.
1: but you're enjoying your job oh i love it man i love it how how did you even get involved in this this is funny okay so do you remember that the internet sensation Samwell, who had that hit what what in the butt the youtube viral video maybe this was this huge viral video that like it got like 60 million views and that was in the days when 60 million views is equivalent to like you know a billion views now, you know? Yeah, yeah. And the song was on South Park. They did a parody, like Butters did a parody. And anyway, I helped my friend Aaron Ackerson out. He was doing a night, Um, he he used to do a night called uh, Geek Easy, a DJ night, like a geek culture DJ night. And, uh, and I was sort of just helping out with it, and, and he had Samwell perform at one. And we all went out to dinner after, and this was, you know, like two in the morning. Uh-huh. This is a really long answer. Sorry, I'm going to give no, you more of an perfect. abbreviated version. But, uh, you know, I was asking Samuel about like sort of his like organizational infrastructure and he had like nobody doing anything for him. It was insane. The only way he got stuff was like when people happened to come to him, you know. So mm-hmm. he asked me if I would manage him and I thought about it and I and I really believed in what he was doing. I, I, I still think of him as like. Almost a sort of social rights crusader through music. He's an awesome dude, but I but I wasn't a band manager, so I said, "Listen, I'll manage you until I can get you to someone else." You know, okay. But I ended up managing him for a year and a half or something, two years, and so we got uh, this festival gig in Madrid. So it was a U. It was called U Fest. I don't think it was officially sponsored by YouTube, but it might have been. I can't remember. This was a few years back. And it was like us, Rick Astley, like, you know, from Rick Rolling, like Mm -hmm. all these crazy YouTube celebrities. Um, You know that kid who raps with – who like uh, lip syncs to all the raps? This was a few years ago that – like all the like famous rap hits of the day. So like he did that one with 50 Cent. Like he was there. There was all these bizarre people, you know? Okay. The pantsless train ride dudes were there. And at the airport, coming back to New York, this was just after Amy and I had moved to New York when her job brought her out here. I was hanging out. uh, The kid who drove me, you know, they have vans. They'll drive you to the airport at these festivals. The kid who drove me had also driven the guys who were in front of me in line. And so he stopped and said hello and introduced us. And they were that band Battles. Do you know them? I do know Battles, yes another Chicago connection. Cause Ian used to live, Ian Williams used to live in Chicago for a long time with Don Caballero when they came from Pittsburgh. But, um, okay. so he and I, so I was hanging out with Ian and Dave at the airport and, uh, on the flight. And it turns out Ian and I lived two, literally two blocks away from each other in Fort green. So we shared a cab home, you know, to the neighborhood and ended up hanging out and becoming buddies. And, uh, When he got a call from Morgan, who owns Ribbon Music, that they wanted to do a podcast for Hamilton Lighthouser from the Walkman, uh, and asked Ian, who would be a good engineer, Ian recommended me. He'd seen the off-Broadway stuff that I'd done, and he knew that I could engineer whole musical shows. Uh And so he threw my name in the ring, and and I got the gig, and it turned out that it was the Talk House's first podcast, in in conjunction with Ribbon Music. And so... um, Michael Azarad asked me, you know, he was really happy with the way it went. And he said, do you want to keep doing this? You know, we would love to have you as uh, an engineer that we can go to again. And so it really worked out, man. And I started bringing ideas to the table and, and they gave me a promotion to, you know, producer credit. So uh, so now I'm the produce, the podcast producer and engineer at the Talk House. And it's awesome because, you know, I get to work with bands that – I absolutely love and also I get to throw ideas out there myself like I get to bring things to the table like one of the ones I was most proud of was um, and and people who know the Scotland Yard Gospel Choir's music will recognize these influences but I paired uh, one of the guys from Bell and Sebastian with one of the guys from the Pogues because they'd both written memoirs recently about their bands and so they had this Fantastic conversation about that, you know. So it's cool, man. So there's the I'm looking. I've been recording for six minutes. So there's like a five minute <laughs> answer to your question,
0: which is perfect because so, so the moral of the story is when there's a, a guy from Milwaukee that has a song about the butt, you should jump on board. And then seven years later, you'll end up recording two of your idols. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So the, you mentioned your band, Skyliner Gospel Choir. That's sort of the reason why we're talking. Um, I saw your band's first. I saw the gospel choir's first. I think it was sold out of, not sold out. It was close to first appearance at Metro. Oh, I, nice! Oh, I was... want to say this is what oh two three four something like that. That would have
1: probably been three. I would guess okay. maybe two, maybe two, because we started in two thousand one in a very low key way, and then the first record dropped in 0-3. I think it was your record release show
0: at Metro. Yeah, that was a very special night for us, man. And now, 12 years later, you're no longer in Chicago. I'm no longer in Chicago. Yeah. And some of the things that are really that were really close to the Metro, both physical, physically close to the Metro, are no longer there. You have a brand new song for the first time in five years.
1: Yes. I can't believe it's been five years.
0: Could you really not believe it's been five years? I mean, it feels like five years.
1: <laughs> I mean, it feels like five years, but in some ways it feels more like in the internet age, five years for a band is like 20 years. You know what I mean? You could have like,
0: had an entire band cycle broken up and gotten back together. Oh,
1: totally, totally. We're, we're like the mamas and the papas at this point. We may <laughs> as well be from the '60s, but like, but on the other hand, you know, I toured with the choir for ten years, you know, yeah. and so it was like, it's, it's just hard for me to think that that five whole years has passed without a release, you know, because. We always had stuff coming out. I mean, we put out three records, but we also had singles and, you know, we were always doing like cool live stuff. And so it always felt like there was something going on or brewing
0: to be going on soon. You know, well, one of the good reasons the Scott and Our gospel choir hasn't released anything in five years is because you are no longer a resident of Chicago. Yes. Yes. You, you have now lived in New York City for five years. Four so, years. Four years. It's 2016, now- sir. Yeah, Well, I moved here 2012 in February. Okay, I apologize. I can see my point. I thought it was 2011. I apologize. <laughs> You've been there for four years. You're one of the only people I know that had a, a write-up in the reader about leaving town.
1: Oh, that was really special, man. That was <laughs> Which, really special. I felt it, that it gave me also, a, a uh, warm WBEZ, so you,
0: you had competing people trying to vie for the Elia is no longer in Chicago press.
1: Oh, yeah. It, it felt really special. And the thing was, man, like... I, I, I grew up in Chicago, you know? So, I mean, that's still my city, you know? Uh, it's like, I don't, I, I don't identify as an ex-Chicagoan, you know? I'm mm-hmm. a Chicagoan who lives in New York now, you know? When and it's you- like, the way I think about it, it's like I was born in Wales and I spent a few months every year there growing up. Like, I'm Welsh. I live in America and I'm American too, but I'm Welsh too. You know what I mean? It's like these parts that are inextricably part of you. Mm-hmm. and that, that's how Chicago is so when we left and we got that you know the, those write ups it just felt like it just felt like uh, you don't make art for validation or or maybe you do in like a secret corner of your brain but it felt like a really nice moment where people actually cared about something that we'd done you know I like how it
0: took you to have to leave to know that people cared about you <laughs> yeah Fuck you, Chicago. You could have <laughs> told me while I was alive. One of the things that you talked no. about in, in that four years, not five years ago, but four years ago in those pieces is sooner or later you'd be back. This was just a temporary stop in New York. Do you still feel like you're going to return to Chicago? I, I do think so. I don't know when because uh, there's so
1: many exciting things going on here. You asked earlier, uh, sort of off mic, you asked about having kids and, and it is something that, you know we think we'll probably do in the relatively near future, you know? So, uh, we'll have to see how that works in New York. I don't know, but, um, I mean, my, my American family are mostly in Chicago and, uh, I'm still there like four or five times a year. So I could definitely see, uh, I could definitely see coming back at some point. I really could.
0: You're the one who brought up kids, so I feel like it's okay to talk about that. It's now. okay
1: to talk about it, yeah. I'm, um, I'm not saying that it's imminent, but, but it's something that I've thought
0: about, you know? I mean, we're both of age where that makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, I'm 36 now, man.
0: You're the first guest that's been on the show, and any of my shows, I think, that has had their wedding announcement written up in the New York Times. Oh my God, could you believe that, man? that is if you google the listener at home if you google elia's name that's the first hit you'll find is his wedding announcement to the to the lovely amy who works for pitchfork yeah it was pretty crazy man it was pretty crazy they uh they
1: actually call you to vet you and um and so you know, they, they call and they say, "Is this Amy Phillips? Is this Elia Einhorn? Do you live at this address? Do you have this job?" And it was funny because, like, one thing they asked me is, "Are you the Talkhouse producer or a Talkhouse producer?" You know, like very they, good they want everything, you know. And I said, "I'm the Talkhouse producer," and I, and I felt very proud of our of but, our scrappy young startup. But um, but it's like. They really vet you man, but yeah, it was
0: I couldn't believe that happened, man. that was that was cool. Well <laughs> that is very very cool and very weird. Um, I know that your wife is from not Chicago. Right, Philadelphia. Exactly. and you guys met in Chicago. Does she have any
1: desire to go back? Oh yeah, she loves Chicago, man. She loves Chicago. It's funny because when we moved out here, you know, we came because Pitchfork's editorial moved out here, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's actually what brought Amy to Chicago originally. She's from Philly, but she lived in New York. She went to Columbia um, in New York. I always joke that she went to the real Columbia. I went to Columbia College Chicago, but um, but she went to Columbia here, and then she, you know, was a freelance journalist here, and she wrote for all these awesome papers, the Voice, the Village Voice, and you know, and then. Mm-hmm. When she signed up for Pitchfork, they moved her to Chicago. We met in Chicago, but then they'd opened the Brooklyn office by then, and more and more of the editorial were being hired or moving out here. So in the end, we had to go. She didn't want to go. I didn't want to go. But uh, once we got there, she still didn't want to be here, and I quickly came to love it. Really? Because I'll tell you, man, living in New York is a lot different than touring to New York to play CMJ for two nights where you're so tired you have to take a nap in a van on Houston Street. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like when you have your own space here and you start to meet people out here, um, and, and, and there's so much going on here. It's like, it's just, it's really crazy how many cool things are going on at any given time. I mean, Chicago's the same way. You know, like Chicago's the same way where it's like there's three events that you legitimately really want to go to on the same night, you know, and you could hit one or maybe two. But but New York has that magnified because it's so much bigger. There's so many more people. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just fell in love with that, man. And the, and the more jobs that I
0: got here, the more work with cool clients that I did, like the more excited I got about stuff. Would you be able to do something like the talk house in Chicago?
1: yes. The hesitance is that being on the ground here does afford a couple different things. Like, I I definitely just meet people here. I meet artists of, um, let me come at this in a different way. New York is the media center. So bands that are local bands here that are as big as local bands in Chicago are national bands here. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Because there's media covering everything. So there's so much more of that going on here that sort of that's the mix I'm in. And and so I I find it a lot um, easier to find artists that I really want to work with that live here.
0: You know what I mean? Is there any artists that you either toured with or played with in Chicago that you just knew if they had only not been in Chicago, they'd be much bigger?
1: Oh, I mean, there's so many, man. Like, Ezra Furman is finally getting, you know, like, he's finally blowing up. Mm -hmm. But, like, that dude's a genius. And if he'd been in New York, he would have been, like, you know, he would have probably come out. You know, like, there was, like, the moldy peaches and Regina Spector that came out of this sidewalk anti-folk scene. Mm -hmm. He would have definitely been that. You know, he would have been way bigger way sooner. And, I mean, he did live out here for a while, parenthetically. But, like, you know, he hadn't been here the whole time. I, I... I don't know about my own stuff. If, if we'd been able to get the breaks out here that we got in Chicago, we would have been a bigger national band than we were. We were sort of a minor national band, the Mm -hmm. choir. Do you notice I'm speaking in past tense? It's kind of sad. Well, do
0: you, yeah. Is it, I mean, technically it's not dead, but in your mind, is it dead?
1: It's wrapping up, you know, it's wrapping up. It's like, uh, it's wrapping up. It's, uh, we we have another record we're looking for a label we we mm-hmm. split with bloodshot because you know bloodshot bloodshot really wants their bands touring 150 dates a year and we couldn't do that anymore physically you know it, that, those days were over for the choir and uh and a few people moved on after we were in that horrible tour accident you know people one of our guys became a chef and you know uh mary um moved to uh Kentucky so you know, people went on with different things in their life, in their lives, and so we, we very amicably split with Bloodshot because we just didn't fit their model anymore, you know, and they didn't fit our model. So now we're looking for a label, and, and I want to release it. Um, you know, I want to do like a proper release, but then mm-hmm. after that, that'll be it for the choir, and I'll just keep focusing on the new Project Fashion Brigade
0: that I started. Since the accident, do you even have the desire to tour anymore? Yeah, I love... Certain parts of touring, man. Really? I I don't have – like,
1: you know, there's one thing about being on tour when you're a smaller band that there's – it's sort of a slog. And like I don't miss sleeping on people's floor next to three other people. You know what I mean? Also on the floor or like renting one room at Motel 6 with two beds and there's seven band members. I mean those were realities for us. We were a big band – as far as the number of people on the road at any given time. And, and we weren't making a ton of money for the most part. I mean, we, we'd get, we'd play one gig for $5,000 and then we'd play 10 gigs for 50 bucks. You know, mm-hmm. this is like, you know, when we were young and, uh, so it was sort of, a, I don't miss that stuff, but I really miss meeting the other artists. You see the way you're always hearing about new stuff, even from the people in your band. Cause you spend so much time in the van. It's like, you know, you learn about all these amazing. Like I, I didn't really get into the replacements, um, and I. It's not like I'm a huge replacements fan, but like I didn't really hear listen to their stuff till Mary became obsessed with them and played it all the time in the van, you know. Yeah. And like I, I know I turned a lot of the choir onto the Smiths from the same thing. Like I'd always be playing the Smiths.
0: But aren't you getting that now with the Talkhouse? Like you're you're meeting all these people, and unlike a tour, you get to go home. Yes,
1: and I love that, and I love being able to like come home and have my studio here and and you know be able to see amy mm-hmm. but it's not quite the. i mean there's something different you know and, and i was actually just talking to michael azred about this recently who who runs the talk house he's our editor-in-chief because he was asking me with the new band like do i want to uh, hit the road and i told him i want to hit the road selectively Okay, what does that mean? Like, I want a tour, but I don't want to slog it out. I don't want to do, like, a hundred dates where I'm trying to break the band, you know? Mm-hmm. I want to do more tours, like, like where the choir was at towards, you know, the last few years of our career, where we were a band that was opening for much bigger bands, and those were cool shows. Like, you know, we toured with the Arcade Fire, we toured with Devotchka a ton, you know? Mm-hmm. And, like, we were walking out on stage, and we're playing for a thousand people, two thousand people, five thousand people. And mm-hmm. I'd love to do that kind of stuff again, you know? But I don't want to do the, like, 20 people in Iowa City anymore. I'm done with that shit. <laughs> and, and I don't mean to sound, like, privileged, you know, because it's a privilege to be able to have 20 people to
0: come see you in Iowa. But you can't do it forever. You know what I mean? Listen, as someone that drew uh, two people in Des Moines, I would be very jealous if I could draw 20 people. There you out. go. There you go. You mean go. a lot to me. <laughs> yeah. The man. reason why we're talking, though, is uh, it's not about Fashion McGrade, which is your new band. And we should actually play some Fashion McGrade right now. mostly to talk about um chicago and the, and the band both the former band the current band the everything the the song is called clark and belmont yes and it's an ode to the worst dunkin donuts in the country the dunkin yes. Donuts used to be on the corner of clark and belmont here's the here's the uh subject that you do not address in the song and it really angers me Uh-oh. did you ever get towed and or get booted from that dunkin donuts parking lot worse how could you? How could anything worse happen? I was arrested there for
1: trespassing. Okay, good. They got sick of all the punks hanging out there, and uh, I'll, I'll give you the exclusive story here. <laughs> thank thank I, you. I I have not used drugs for over twenty years, pretty much. But I was taking my first acid trip, and there was thirty punks hanging out in the Dunkin' Donuts parking lot you know mohawks leather jackets knives and they just got sick of it and so they circled us with paddy wagons and took us all to jail so i went to jail tripping on acid for my first time ever and i'm going to say that's worse than getting towed yeah but do you have any idea how much
0: it costs to get towed when you're a delivery driver that's true acid was only 5 bucks back then so <laughs> <Just> like- <laughs> How did you get out of jail? Did you just have to spend the night?
1: Oh, my mom had to come get me, man. And my sister came just to laugh at me. Literally, just to
0: laugh at me. Do you remember how much your mom had to pay to get you out? I don't know. That's a good question. I bet it was cheaper than getting towed at Dunkin' Donuts. (laughs) I'm sure. I'm sure. When we were young punks Sitting out front
1: of the Dunkin' Donuts Taking shit from the grown-ups It was our time, and that our time was here to stay, and now I miss The punks and the smell of piss Those summer days of out bliss
0: My baby and to cherry kiss Have you ever purchased anything from the alley? Oh
1: yeah, for sure, man, for sure, 100%. <laughs> Uh, I mean, like, I, I bought a Bau, two Bauhaus shirts there. I bought. Uh, I think I bought my. Oh no, I didn't buy my leather there.
0: Are your two Bauhaus shirts still in the rotation? No, I've got one still. Okay, the other. I gave one of them away. Well, I follow you and your wife on social media, and I know that you got all of your entire like 2016 wardrobe from the most recent Morrissey tour. Yes, so. yes, totally, dude, totally. Um, one of the things about. Um, that's dangerous about reminiscing too much. Is you want to live in the past, but you don't seem to actually want to live in the past, which is healthy. Uh, are you grateful that you got out of Chicago so now you could look back and appreciate those things, or would it not have mattered?
1: Um, I'll I'll tell you the only reason I'm I'm happy to have left Chicago is that I was spinning my wheels towards the end. You know, the band. Well, we've been in that horrible accident, so the choir was essentially on hiatus. You know. And I was just working a job that I didn't, you know, care about anymore. And, and you know, it's one thing to work a job that you don't care about when you're in a band that's having success because you're on an upward trajectory, you know. And we were for years. You know, when we, we put out our own record. It did really well, like way better than most people get to have their own self-release record do. Then we signed to Bloodshot. We have these two records that do pretty well. And uh, And then all of a sudden it was just gone, you know. Mm-hmm. And and it was gone, you know, the accident happened at the end of 2009, and, I mean, people were recovering, like, there was serious recovery going on for a couple of years, you know, a- aside from, like, the maintenance recovery that's going on now for a couple of the members, you know, but, like, I mean, really active, serious stuff, so we couldn't tour, we couldn't release stuff, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, which is why, parenthetically, I started Fashion Brigade, that was when I started recording by myself, because the choir were laid up, but... I was really just spinning my wheels there. It was like the thing that had meant so much to me was was like maybe done forever, at least on hold for a long time. And so coming to New York, I had to rethink uh, sort of who I was and what I wanted to be doing, and that was really important. And that wouldn't have happened in Chicago because I all you know I still man I come to Chicago. Here's here's a tip for the stalkers. I don't think I have any anymore, but in case I do. Like, if you want to find me in Chicago, just go to pick me up. I'm still there all the time when I'm in Chicago, you know? I still eat at Giordano's once or twice a time when I'm in town. Like, I do the same shit there all the time. Whereas in New York, I'm always doing different stuff, you know? And and with new people. So I had to open my mind. The thing is, growing up in Chicago, like, Mark Yoshizumi, who's, who's in the choir is one of my oldest and best friends. We went to grade school together. So there was sort of a feeling in Chicago like I topped out on good friends. I didn't need any more. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I didn't explore new relationships in the way that I did once I moved out here cuz it was like there was like a, in a way there was like no way anyone there could replace the people that I already had. You know what I mean? Sure. My old crew. And uh and so that was really cool, man. So I don't know. That, that was something that was important for me to experience. And I'd never lived anywhere else for more than a few months at a time. I'd lived, you know, I'd lived in Wales for a number of months at a time. I'd lived in South America for a number of months at a time, with Mark, actually. But, um, but this was the first time I'd lived for like a year plus somewhere else. And
0: you're glad you're in Brooklyn. I love it, man. I love it. What's, what neighborhood are you in? We're in Fort Greene. What's the one thing Fort Greene has over Logan Square? Well, I'll tell you the opposite. We finally just got our first record store here.
1: Really? Yeah, there was no record store here, man. It's like we're sort of like too close to other hip neighborhoods that already had them. Mm -hmm. But the dudes from Captured Tracks, which is a really cool label, and they have a store in, I can't remember, Williamsburg or Greenpoint that I've been to a few times. Anyway, one of those dudes, Mike Sniper, co-opened a record store in our hood finally. So there's something that Logan Square had for a long time that Fort Greene was behind on.
0: One of the things that I've always noticed about you and your band is you're very positive and you, you don't play music that you would associate with negativity in any way. Oh, my God. I fooled well, everyone then. <laughs> maybe so. I mean,
1: what about like the songs like This World Has No Place For Me? I mean, I wrote a whole record about
0: a bad breakup. Sure, but that's a, that's internal. That's, that's not like you're the worst, I'm better than you. Oh, it's, I gotcha. I yeah. gotcha. I, I, I like it's the more like oh yeah 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 you're, I got you. You're more sad than angry. Yeah I, okay okay. If we're defining it that way, I agree. Yeah. I is yeah. That's why I, I yes I know you're from Chicago, but I always associated you guys with more of a European influence. Maybe it's the Bell and Sebastian. Maybe it's because where you're actually from and your family's from. But like, how do you identify in the Chicago music scene? Where do you fit in? Because I have a feeling that you're the kind of guy that thinks about where you fit in in the canon.
1: Well, thank you for. Thank you for the sort of uh, implicit idea that we're in the canon, in the Chicago canon, in that question. But, uh, I mean, my biggest influences, man, were growing up in Wales. My friend James, had a, he was a, a rich English kid. And, uh, and you'll see a lot of rich English people who, who own summer properties in Wales. And uh, he lived in Manchester, and this was during the Madchester scene. And, you know, the Stone Roses, 808 State, you know, Happy Mondays. And he would make me these cassettes that he, he, he like dubbed himself. And, um, I'll tell you, in New York, there's always a siren going by. But, uh, but that was my biggest influence, man. So I was obsessed with British music even as a, like, eight year old, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's definitely, that's, that's for me, you know, the biggest stuff. But, like, I was also, um, Really into like, I mean, the one thing that Chicago had when I was growing up, or there were many things, but one of the things was amazing indie labels, you know, mm-hmm. like we had touch and go, we had thrill jockey and we had bloodshot and I was a huge fan of bloodshot. I mean, I interned at drag city
0: in college, but, but you, when did you figure out that Chicago had all these things? Cause I'm also from there. I didn't really know about any of this stuff until college.
1: Yeah, I guess that's true. I guess that's true. I mean, I was definitely—I've always been much more into British music and labels. Mm-hmm. You know, like I always preferred the NME to Rolling Stone. You know, sure. And uh, yeah, so I don't know, but I mean, the thing is, like, the, I, I, actually, I can tell you what really hit me to Chicago stuff. It's two things. It was the Chicago Reader. It mm-hmm. was Peter Margasak's old column, uh, Post No Bills. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, when he gave us a a, a mediocre review, a bad review, it broke my heart. I was devastated. But – and then Sound Opinions because uh, uh, Jim Deere and Bill Wyman started it when I was still really young before Greg Kott came on board Mm -hmm. and they moved to BEZ when they were still on – XRT. XRT. And so like that was how I first heard the Mecons, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And and there's – you know, you draw that connection – it's direct for, for my career because like I first heard about the Mekons on there, got obsessed with uh, Jim's show. And then, you know, once Greg joined, it was even stronger. And, uh, and they were the ones Jim gave me my first break. I gave him, I met him in a coffee shop. I was working in, gave him a CD. And uh, next thing I knew, I got a call from a friend saying, you're getting played on XRT right now. And then that went on to like, I ended up, being on a label with, with John Langford from the Mekons, and and he played on a choir record, you know?
0: Do you remember what coffee shop you were working at?
1: Yeah, Cafe Avanti. It was on the Southport Corridor across the street from... Uh, the Music Box. The Music Box, which, again, parenthetically, finally, Daniel Knox is getting some attention yeah. in Chicago. I brought that dude's shit. I have loved his music. We, we met when I was probably like 19, and he was about the same. I literally brought his CDs down to South by Southwest on a choir tour there, because I was trying to convince people to sign him. I thought he was a fucking genius, man.
0: Uh, he also wrote the theme song for this show. Did he really? Oh, yeah. So oh, my it, God. That's hilarious, dude. At the top and bottom of this show. It's funny to think all it really takes to feel worthy in a in a place that you're from is, like, the reader saying nice things about you and selling out, like, a small hometown club. Oh, totally, dude. But, and it's really sad because if you look at how – that doesn't pay any bills,
1: no way, man. No
0: it's way. Crazy!
1: You sell out Shubas and you don't make much money. But, like, but dude, the the thrill of selling out Shubas, like the first time that happened, you know, you sold out like, it's like 275 capacity or something. It, it's like, it's immeasurable, you know? And you, you know, it's like you brought up that Metro gig. Like the first time we played Metro, it was insane, man. It was so special. It's like where all your heroes had played, Morrissey, Bell and Sebastian, Bob Dylan, you know, like everyone had played there.
0: Is there anything like that even left, though? After you do it, it's kind of like – it's the diminishing returns, isn't it? No. No. And I'll tell you why. It's always the
1: same on a different level. Like, okay. I remember having this funny thing. We were on tour with Dvachka, and um, we used to have the same manager, and we had a great relationship with those dudes. And um, we were in – I can't remember what city, but we were doing a midwestern tour. We might have been in like Detroit or something, or Grand Rapids, with them, and uh, they were talking on stage during soundcheck about how one of their crew had like they'd been touring with Arcade Fire, and one of their crew had like been a little bit gauche, I guess, and like tried to push Devotchka Records on Arcade Fire, and they were a little embarrassed about it. And I remember thinking like that same thing permeates every level. It's just different levels of fame, you know what I mean? But like. Mm-hmm. You know, we had that when we were playing at Burkhart Underground. It's like, oh, dude, you're, you're hustling too hard. You know what I mean? Like, relax a little bit, man. Chill, you know? And then, then here's these dudes who are like, have scored the soundtrack to Little Miss Sunshine, had a huge success. They're touring with Arcade Fire, and they're having the same feeling at that level. So I realized the anxieties and the achievements are relatively the same throughout the ranks. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. the ranks of fame because you're still having the human experience just in different contexts. But So, like, I still have thrills. Like, um, like, like for Fashion Brigade, man, I fucking recorded Exine Cervenka from X came and sang with me, you know? Like, I couldn't believe that was happening. I couldn't believe it was happening. And, like, I'd already... Like, the choir had recorded with, like, Martin Atkins from Public Image Limited, John Langford from the Mekons. Like, you know, we'd had all these really... Like, people who are important to our personal canons work with us, you know? But right. I still got that thrill. Like, when I, when I walked in and Xene was there, ready to record my song, it was like, it doesn't matter, you know? It, it's like, do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So that, that for me, the excitement is still there, man. If, if the excitement wasn't there, I wouldn't do it. I it's not for- like
0: I get paid enough to do it. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're working in the music industry. There's not a lot of money. Yeah. Are you happy that you're still working in the music industry?
1: Honestly, this has been one of the best years of my life, man. Oh, good. Twenty fifteen, it was one of the best years of my life. I got married. I started like I, uh, th- you know, working for the Talk House. I'd been working for them in twenty fourteen, but I got the producer promotion in twenty fifteen. I started working with uh, Pitchfork, producing podcasts for them. I started working as a consultant at Paper Magazine. It was like, like I just couldn't believe how satisfied I felt with the work I was doing, you know, and I, and I'm still doing the work with like the, the off Broadway stuff that I do for the possibility project. So it was like, you know, it just felt like the sort of personal and professional really locked in, in a wonderful way. Like the things I'd been building up for years, really locked in.
0: It sounds so, like you left for all the
1: right reasons. I guess, man. Yeah. It's worked out. I, I'll always love Chicago, and I think I'll always love Brooklyn. You know, as crazy as it is. is Despite the fact that I just read there's a $100 gold-plated donut being sold in Williamsburg, I'll still love Brooklyn. (laughs) And I'll love Chicago because they would never put up with that shit.
0: Give it six months, and I'm sure it'll be in the loop. Oh, no. If you would like more information on Elliot, follow him on Twitter. It's at sign Elliot Einhorn, E-L-I-A-E-I-N. H-O-R-N uh, There you can find his music from the Scotlander her Gospel Choir and his other project, Fashion Brigade You could also find the podcast that he helps produce called The Talk House. It's all over there. If you'd like more information on this podcast, please follow us on Twitter It's at sign Ubi Estmia Pod. We're also on Facebook. Just type in Ubi Estmia in that little Facebook search tool and you will find us If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, I'm at sign Y-M-T-E my other show is called You, Me, Them, Everybody. That's available at youMethemeverybody.com Our theme songs are written by Daniel Knox, and our art is by Dmitry Samaroff. Thanks for listening, and have a wonderful night.